Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like commodity. Back on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old don't know value blues. Well, welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, the reason your company exists. Today, I am thrilled to have Eric. Miller, the CEO of PADT. Uh, he happens to be local to me here in the uh, Arizona area. Eric, welcome. Thank you for having me. And I, and I will correct you. I'm not the CEO. We don't have a CEO. Oh, It's actually, uh, PADT is a partnership. There's three of us who own the company equally. So we're an unusual organization in that we just have three co-owners. Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, give, us, give us kind of a picture of your business. So yeah, what we do is we sell the products and services that engineers need, mechanical engineers need to bring their products to market. So we're really kind of a hybrid of a very traditional engineering value-added reseller um, where we distribute other people's high-end products as well as a consulting company. And we've, we've merged those two together over 27 years to, uh, to provide uh, simulation, 3D printing, and design products and services to folks across the southwestern U.S. and and sometimes even around the world. Cool. And so it's a specialty business for mm-hmm. a specialty engineering yes. niche. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're a niche within a niche within a niche. And then we've got multiple niches that we sell within those niches. There's riches in niches, as they <laughs> <Yes>. say. <laughs> I, you know, I... I had, you know, kind of observed your company over uh, several years now, um, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. getting involved closely because I'm not an engineer, but I, I've really enjoyed your business model because you spend a lot of time making sure that you're delivering value to customers. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about that. Well, it's really what we, we ended up figuring out we needed to do. So, so a little bit of history helps understand their journey. Um, we were three engineers working at what's now Honeywell Aerospace. It was the Garrett turbine engine company, and then Allied Signal Engines, and then Honeywell um, Aerospace. And, and we were using advanced technology uh, to do our job. We were using what's now called 3D printing. We were using what's now called simulation. And we were using advanced design uh, tools, CAD tools, to design turbine engines. And we thought, hey, this is pretty cool stuff. Right now, it's really only used in aerospace. Um, but at some point, computers are going to get cheaper and the software is going to get better. So you don't have to be an expert to use it. And everybody's going to want to do this stuff. And we think it's applicable beyond the high-end aerospace applications. So we started a consulting company around that. And typical engineers, we figured if we built it, they would come and they did not. Um, <laughs> and what we had to do was figure out how to convince people to use us 
both as consultants and then as we started adding products that we resold to purchase their products through us instead of other, but not only to purchase the products we were representing, but to purchase them through us because in most cases, it's not exclusive sales. Um, and it was a long journey. We, we, we never really figured out, um, you know, an epiphany moment, what we needed to do. But over time, we kind of looked back and realized that it was about value, right? It was the, the engineers, especially like our niche with a niche is selling to engineers. Well, engineers are trained to sniff out and maximize value, right? That's what they do. And so our whole sales process and then delivery process had to be built around this idea of what is the customer's need and then how do we deliver a maximum value to them that may not be obvious, you know, at first glance, what that value is and, and try and understand it and grow it and nurture it over time. Yeah. I, it seems to me, tell me if I'm wrong, this is an mm -hmm. outsider's guess, mm -hmm. but it seems that if you're, if you're able to position yourself shoulder to shoulder beside an engineer, mm -hmm. collaborate with them on a design that when it comes mm -hmm. time to buy a 3D printer or do some simulation, mm -hmm. you are collaborators co-creating rather than a seller pitching. Well, it's interesting you should bring that up. So a little inside baseball, if you're not an engineer and you're selling to engineers, engineers are, I mean, it varies on a spectrum from hate and detest to are uncomfortable around sales and marketing people. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for it. And there's a lot of jokes about, you know, when we were walking to the library to study, all the people that became salespeople were off to parties. Um, I don't know how much truth there is in that, but there really, really is an aversion to uh, being sold to and being marketed to amongst our target market of engineers. And um, we, we, it took us a while to realize that. And it really goes back to this idea, and I think the term is kind of out of favor right now, but consultative selling, right? Yeah. Um, we become their trusted advisor. And the only way to do that is to be a trusted advisor. Um, there's no trick to it. It's really, you got to know your stuff and you got to be able to explain it to them in a way that they understand and to help them. So you're, you're talking about being sold shoulder to shoulder is really true. And the thing I would add is they don't want you anywhere near them when you start. Right? They're so afraid of being tricked into spending money on something they don't want to spend money on that um, they keep you at arm's length. And then over time, through uh, technical expertise and then through yeah, non-technical helping them get things done, you become that trusted advisor. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it turns into long-term partnerships. And because we do so many different things, we're a very diverse company. You know, we may get a customer because of 3D printing. We may get them because we sold them a piece of hardware. We may get them because we did a little bit of consulting. But over time, they almost all use three or four different things that PADC does because they trust us and they, they, we make it easy as well. I think which is part of the value, right? Doing business with us needs to be relatively straightforward. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent uh, with some of my other clients, um, mm. many of whom are like enterprise software. Right. So this, this might be a little bit different, but I'm a huge at getting my, my salespeople uh, of my clients at mm -hmm. understand the customer's business, Yep. be understand mm -hmm. how they make money, understand, be a mechanic uh, yep. of your customer's mm -hmm. business and know where it's leaking oil, know which parts work well, mm -hmm. know which mm -hmm. parts don't fit together because mm -hmm. um, one's metric and one's SAE. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Right. Yep. And 
help so them understand. So grow their business using your stuff. Don't sell your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It, it, it's so true. I mean, we're a tool or we're selling a tool. That's one of the ways I look at it, right? Is, is, is that we're either, we're either selling them a tool or we're going to be the tool for them. And, and we need to understand what tool they need right? Handing them, I mean, to to take the analogy way too far, handing them a wrench when they need a hammer is not going to help them, right? And when they need a big hammer and you got a little hammer, that ain't going to help them. And, and one of the things that we do is sometimes we just had this with a, with a a person, Um, we couldn't do what they wanted, but we found somebody that could. Well, now they're coming back and asking for something different, right? Because we created that. We helped them in in an honest and real way. And now that they trust us, there's not that aversion. And now they're coming back and can you do this? Can you do that? And yeah. it, it really does pay off. Yeah. I, I think you're right that the, the term consultative selling um, uh-huh. is fallen out of favor and people are using insight selling and perspective yeah. selling, which is much the same thing. Um, but again, you can't have insight into something you don't understand. You can't know right. thy customer's right. business until you know business. Um, And so you can't consult on something Mm -hmm. that you are not expert in. You just can't. Or, or yeah. And so sometimes we'll hire a salesperson that is not an engineer. Like our, our ideal uh, salesperson is a engineer that doesn't want to do engineering anymore, but they're really outgoing and personable and proactive, but they understand the technical and those, those are unicorns and we try to work with them when we can. Sure. But, but you can sell what we, I mean, we talk, this is really specific stuff. But you can sell it if you're smart enough to understand what tool fits what need. Yeah. And you don't have to know the physics or the mathematics behind it to know that. You just got to be able to connect the dots. And so I think that's, that's true in our business, but I think it's true in all businesses. And a lot of times when I'm being sold to um, and not being consulted with, <laughs> it's somebody like, I've got this too. Like the other day, somebody was trying to sell me a, an upgrade to a product we've been using for a very long time. And I, I don't use the feature that would justify the upgrade. And yet he's telling me, well, but we can get you a 25% discount if you upgrade. Like, why would I pay, tw- why would I pay 50% more and then get a 25% discount? So 25% more in order to get a feature I don't use. And he just would not stop. You know, he just wasn't listening to me and not understanding that what I need from their product is something totally different, which he didn't listen to. And we'll probably go with another product now, even though we've been with this one for a long time, because I don't think they deliver what we want. Um, really great lesson, people yeah. selling your stuff and failing. So he wouldn't accept <laughs> yes for an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's frustrating sometimes, but yeah, uh, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of that principal consultant expert mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. co-creator yes. selling model. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there are tons of businesses that don't use that. And that's just not a fit for me and my client. But um, I love coming to and talking with businesses where they get that and they're building their business around that. Um, you were saying you like to get an engineer who likes to sell, which as yes. you said, is a unicorn. Yeah. Um, but the, the core there is you're looking at somebody who understands 
the yes, process sir. and understands mm -hmm. the business better mm -hmm. than they understand their own commission plan or has a longer view towards success. And mm -hmm. is, are, do you provide anything in your sales organization mm -hmm. that helps to incentivize that? You know, you'd have to ask our sales managers that. I, 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 I don't, I don't think so. I think it's kind of required. I don't think you're going to make your nut. You're not going to make your nut if you don't. Yeah. I think that's the incentive, right? Um, so, you know, we we set up our compensation plan so that, um, you know, if you make your quota, you make good money, really good money. And if you if you don't get these things about understanding the customer and listening to the customer and and helping them solve their problems, hopefully with the product and services we sell, um, you're not going to sell enough to make enough money to survive. So <laughs> I think that's a yeah, pretty strong I guess that, incentive. That, that, that <laughs> when you're selling to engineers, it's kind of a self-correcting error, right? It, it, um, it, you, you, you're not going to go anywhere fast. You're not going to, you know, you, every once in a while you get lucky with an existing customer that just likes us and you can kind of turn the crank on the renewals, yeah. but it's pretty no. rare. Yeah, it's even even renewals in our business are not guaranteed because yeah, there's yeah. a constant your competitors are constantly trying to displace you yep. with their technology and um, or their services. And um, if you let up for even a minute and assume that you've kind of got a captured customer there, they're going to be gone. Yeah, I, uh, I was talking to another fellow, another business mm -hmm. not applicable, didn't have the same self-correcting error. Uh, that you naturally have selling to engineers, but he was the CEO of this company was saying, I know before we've even won an opportunity that a customer is a one and done, that we're going to lose money on the cost of sales to, yeah. to win it. And they are not going to return. They're going to be price shoppers. Yep. I know before yep. we've won them yep. that they're mm -hmm. dead man walking. Yep. Yep. And so I, I asked, right. I asked them, is there anything you do to incentivize your salespeople to stop working on that. And his answer was kind of a, a sophisticated version of, <laughs> right? Well, you know, they get their, they're paid on commission. So I guess I can't. And, um, you know, who's the well, CEO again? <laughs> we're, again, it's self-correcting for us because on, on the product sales side of things and, and as consulting as well, it's, it's the growth that they make their money off of. So in our industry, um, there aren't a lot of new green fields. There's not a lot of new customers. Yep. It's mostly growing your existing customer base. And it varies from product and industry, but you know, as much as 80% of your new business comes from existing customers in some of yeah. our verticals. Um, and, and I think no less than 50% in our smallest. So, um, you got to constantly bring those new people in and that's where you run into these folks every once in a while. And I think good management is the answer uh, to that, that, um, that, that a good manager will keep their finger on the pulse of what deals their people are working. And if it looks like one of those things where, you know, the, the thing that really ticks us off because it's such a long sales process for our product is when we convince the customer that this is the right product and we're the right company. And then they take our proposal and give it to our competitor and say, can you beat this? And this is usually not the engineer, it's usually the buyer. Can you can you beat this by 5%? It doesn't happen often, but it does. And we just have to walk away at that point because yeah. you're just throwing good money after bad if you don't. And hopefully the customer will get a bad experience. 
um, and we'll come back to stay in touch. But, um, you know, it, it yeah, I it, think that good management will recognize it and say, hey, you need to minimize the investment. Send them a quote. Yeah, we'll give them a 5% discount, but don't spend any more time on it. I, I really applaud that, Eric. I think uh, when you drop your price by 5%, if you, the arithmetic is, I don't know what your profitability is, but mm. say it's 20%. If you drop, yeah. if you drop your price by 5%, uh, your profitability went down by 25%. Yeah. yeah. And right. It, it goes, it goes it's into big. the toilet in a hurry. Yeah. yeah. And pretty soon you're that first deal is a mm -hmm. money loser. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're talking with a customer that you know has a propensity to never be the second mm -hmm. the renewal sale, um, yep. Yep. and so I, I think having the discipline to say we'll wait until you have trouble big enough mm -hmm. uh, at Gore, we used to say that. Let's you know, yep. Uh, yep. cables cheap, troubles expensive. Come back to me, <laughs> come, when, right? Come back when you figure it out. We um, we put in Salesforce a, a tickler to, to remind the salesperson in six months to follow up if we lose a deal. Yep. Um, and you know, doesn't always come back to us. Our, our competitors aren't complete losers. They, some of them are really good, <laughs> but um, you know, some of them are really really good. So sometimes we lose a customer, but in general, it's pretty rare. Yep. And about half the time, they end up coming back at one point yep. or another. Yeah. Now I'm kind of maniacal about organizing everybody in your firm around that customer outcome, not just yep. your sales organization. Yep. 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 Um, and so a tool I use I, I'm, uh, is that instead of a sales funnel, mm -hmm. uh, we draw an infinity loop. And what used to be your funnel is the left-hand circuit, is the loop around the left-hand circuit of an infinity loop. Because okay. after the traditional close the deal, which, you know, your salespeople are high-fiving and your customer is yes. in cold sweats because they're finally accountable for the first time, right? <laughs> so the, the customer journey after that is adopt it, uh, use it, mm -hmm. fall in love with it, mm -hmm. get effective with it, figure out that they really love it, and then ask, what else can I do with this? Yes. And so that is, that's actually the, the trigger event to a new, what you used to think of as a funnel. And so yes. uh, we think of that, but then we, we actually map that customer journey mm -hmm. and describe what the customer is actually doing, what customer actions happen and who at my company helps the customer get around the, the left hand mm -hmm. or the, you know, the other side of the loop. Mm -hmm. um, my customer service, my installation, my engineers, my implementation yep. people. Yep. And uh, I, I encourage them to stop using after the sale as a term because there's mm -hmm. no such mm -hmm. thing. It's between sales. I really like that. Um, that's what we do. I haven't thought about it that way. It's, it's interesting to, to think about it like that. So we're lucky in that the first product we started to resell when we were just engineers with no salespeople. Um, is a product called Ansys. It's simulation software. It's very high end. And um, as customers of it, as longtime users of it, before we started selling it, we knew that support was key. And we also knew that the way we would grow is by providing excellent support and helping them understand more ways to use the product and get more value from the product. So they would buy more, right? Grow the customer. Yeah. And, and it, it gets, we could have a whole discussion about using uh, customization and training, software customization and training to grow users and, and yeah. that's a lot of the a lot of the value add that we did and still do is along those lines 
um, to get, and that ends up with much greater sales. Um, but um, it's all because of that, because it's the only way to survive in that business. Sure. Um, we kind of did your infinity loop without thinking about it. I never thought about it that way. Um, but that's exactly what we've always done. Um, and the salesperson, as we got salespeople, they become the owner of the account. And Good. their job is to be um, responsible for that, the happiness of the customer over time. Yeah. And never, you know, you're right. It, it, it is just the beginning of future sales. Yeah. Um, and we never, I don't know that we've ever thought intentionally about it the way you bring it up. We've just kind of done it, but we should think about it intentionally because I think it's a good idea. Now, thank you. You said that you, the salesperson becomes the owner of the account. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's two schools of thought, and maybe it's a spectrum, and these are the two ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. One is um, the bow tie relationship, where you've got every organization meets at one single point mm -hmm. of, you know, the, everything goes through the salesperson and the, and the single point of contact at the customer side. And so everything funnels through a single point. Mm -hmm. The opposite of that spectrum is that the companies zipper together where mm -hmm. it's a lot of peer-to-peer -peer relationships mm -hmm. and maybe the account manager is quarterbacking and being kind of a central information depot, but not a bottleneck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which of those do you subscribe to or somewhere in the middle? It's up to the customer. Um, so especially with our smaller customers, um, they really like that bow tie, right? They, they want that one person um, and, and to me, it's a, it's a good one throat to choke, right? And it's a, it's a good, so in our business, if the engineers call the salesperson for technical support, then that, that salesperson gets a gold star, right? Because the, the, the engineer knows the salesperson's not an engineer and is not going to answer this obscure question about matrix inversion, right? But they know that the salesperson's going to get an answer for them. And is going to help work the system to get that answer quicker and better. So that is generally the, how it works. In the larger customers, you know, we've got key account managers, we've got key technical managers, we've got even key technical managers within a given customer. We may have two or three, depending on the verticals that, yep. that we're supporting in that customer. So it, it really runs the gamut of what makes the customer, again, get more value out of the relationship, right? And they they want a seamless. I mean, even for some of our larger enterprise customers, we have a desk, we're on their network, we have a desk inside their organization where an engineer sits. And that's where it gets flipped in the engineer, the, the salesperson really isn't involved on that level. The salesperson is only involved at the C-level, which yeah. is probably a good thing. Um, and then that engineer that's, our engineers who, who are on site and inside the network, they become that primary point of contact for the day-to-day -day and tactical things. Yeah, I was uh, early in this podcast, many, many episodes ago, I had a fellow who had founded an engineering services company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, he was very proud of the fact that his customers, who are mostly the big oil company. Okay, yep. Uh, he was engineering services for oil and gas. So he would yep. do mm -hmm. engineering services for refineries and oil fields. Mm -hmm. um, people at the Exxon Mobiles complimented and saying, your people go native, like I've never yep. seen Yep. Yep. Uh, going, so going native. What native. A that's a huge yeah. compliment. A huge compliment. Yeah. And, and even what we've had in the past is where a customer is having trouble internally. 
they go through our engineers or salespeople to help them fix the problem in their own organization, right? Because they know that we're this, this, uh, we have, we have, I don't want to say tentacles because that has negative conversations. We have connections yeah. um, that they don't have within their own organization. And oftentimes, and we were even paid a couple of times, we're the information exchange as well uh, around whatever technology it is we're representing in the company because they know we can do a better job um, getting the information across the organization they can internally. And again, uh, to, to me, that's a benchmark of a, of a great partnership with the customer where they're getting, they, they have trust and they're getting significant value and they're willing to pay for that value. Yeah. Um, and really, really, really positive thing. And in yeah. fact, yeah. some of those engagements have changed into value pricing, uh, which is a whole other thing where you're not paying the list price. You're paying a different price based upon the value that you're getting from the engagement. Oh man, we could talk. Uh, value pricing is yes. my thing, man. <laughs> Sell value so well that the price takes care of itself, right? Yeah. As an engineer, it, it causes my palms to sweat, right? Well, the yeah. price in the book is this. No customer is going to pay more. But I, what I have to get in my head is they're 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 not, they're not buying product them. that license or that piece of hardware is just a small part of what they're buying. Yep. Um, this was uh, this is another thought for you. Um, best practice that I had from this engineering services company. Mm -hmm. During the course of a project with a client, uh, inevitably the, the design at the outset was wrong. We have to go yep. through a cha the change yep. order process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Customer says, I think we should do it here. Engineering company says, here, this will save you a little bit more money, right? Use our expertise. Mm -hmm. and they just kept a tally sheet of the ideas that we've had and how many dollars it had changed, mm -hmm. it had mm -hmm. saved. Mm -hmm. And so at the project wrap up meeting, uh, he would routinely say, here's the list of the ideas. Mm -hmm. Here's how much you paid us. And notice right. that we saved you twice what you paid oh, us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so in that notoriously price, driven mm -hmm. uh, market of, of oil and gas, they had developed some customer loyalty and preference yep. at a premium price, at a value price, mm -hmm. yes. because, um, and, and I'm sure other engineering companies had great ideas too. They just didn't document and track them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it, it's really, if you can do it, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, th I mean, this came from the CEO, so he made it yeah. uh, obligatory. Yeah. It's, it's uh, NFO, as they say, not optional. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we have a couple enterprise customers that require um, in their contract um, either a price reduction or increases in productivity over time. Um, and so we started documenting it for that. And it's simple as asking when we provide support or we do a small service for someone, we ask the engineer we did it for, the manager we did it for, how much money do you think this saved? And we just put it in the ticket. It's just a field in the ticket. This, yep. this ticket saved the customer this many hours at this labor rate or um, not having to buy this, this more material or something like that. And, and we consistently uh, monthly provide that to those customers. And the buyer still wants us to lower our rates. And we come back with that data and say, not only are we not lowering our rates, we're increasing our rates. Well, all of our other vendors are lowering their rates. All right, we're gonna raise our rates. I'm sorry, but we're gonna raise our rates. 
And it's a battle because those people, these large organizations are compensated based upon metrics. They're about reducing that number, right? Yeah. Um, but in the end, we've always won that battle. Yeah, you know, um, purchasing, I, I've talked to, I've had several great conversations with purchasing leaders. Mm-hmm. And they are almost all chartered now to buy on total value. So that's why yeah. that, that stuff is in the contract. However, they are not trained to recognize, track, analyze value. <laughs> mm-hmm. They know they should, but they aren't going to do it. And the, the only thing that they are, they are um, especially at the junior level, you know, the lower level, the less senior, the purchasing agent, yes. the, the more they have to just rely on price because that's the only thing they can analyze accurately. Yep. Um, and so it's not, it's not that they won't or that they can't or that they feel bad. It's just um, you when you walk them through and you say, these are your numbers here, right? Yeah, yeah. I asked your engineer here on how many hours we're saving. These are your numbers, not mine. <laughs> um, they grudgingly accept that. Uh, And now it's a question of how can we help you write this up internally so that you get uh, credit for it, Mr. Purchasing Agent. Right. So, And and a lot of times you just got to go high. Um, That's the other thing is sometimes you just got to go to the higher level where they get the value proposition, right? Yeah. Where they've agreed to this and, you know, the, they're, they have these processes and and metrics for a reason. And when, and because 60% of their time they're buying commodities and it makes sense. Yeah, that what we do is not a commodity and it doesn't make sense. And so you just got to stand your ground and keep asking to go up the ladder until you get to somebody that gets it. And, yep. uh, and, and yeah, and, and we provide reports, right? We, we show the value add that we, we bring to the, to the people. And in the end, everybody's happy. That's great. Well, Eric, what did I forget to uh, ask about? Uh, what did we forget to talk about that you would make, make sure that you'd like to cover? You know, I think, um, you know, I, I, we, I, I guess what I'd like to share is, is our journey as engineers turned into three people who own a company that makes, you know, 70% of the revenue off sales, um, not what we set out to do. <laughs> um, and um, it was a learning experience. So anybody that's not in the sales world, but manages salespeople or needs to manage salespeople in the future is... Um, you got to let go of your biases about what is sales and who are salespeople and start to recognize um, that this is a really important part of your business. And, and I'll give my, our consulting team as a good example, right? So we're really good at consulting and our customers tell us that over and over again, and they consistently come back to us, but year after year after year, we just weren't seeing any growth. And we, we, had, we had customer interface people who, who were really good about keeping the customer happy and delivering value to the customer, but they weren't really doing sales. And that was our fault. They, I think they were perfectly capable of doing it and were good salespeople, but we wouldn't, didn't have them doing that. And after a couple of tries, we actually not only got a good salesperson, but also uh, let them sell. And the difference has been, I, I, our problem right now with our customers is they're angry because we, we have more work than we have people, right? And we're having to put off projects, which we've never had to do before in the past. Wow, yeah. And, 
there's a lot of things that drive that, but the number one thing that drives it, the thing that was missing was a focused and concentrated sales process um, that, was, that was about getting new customers, understanding their needs, finding the right fit, working with the customer to do a proposal that made sense to the customer, and then still going all the way through they're, they don't finish the sale until we close out the project. Yep. And um, it's a great example of us getting out of the way and letting them do their job. Um, and that's, that's the, the thing when I mentor startups that are you know, about to grow and need salespeople. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta hire them and they're not you. Don't hire the person that, se- that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. Hire the person that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, not creepy, not, not swarmy, but, but a little bit challenged, challenged you a little bit, made you question whether, you know, you should think about things a little bit differently. That's who you should hire and, and give them, give them steam and then compensate them because <laughs> engineers don't like paying a lot of money. And if a salesman does really well, it hurts to write that check, but there's, I'll tell you what, if I'm, if my hand's shaking when I'm um, clicking, signed by clicking now, when I'm signing a commission check, um, that's a good thing because I look at the amount of revenue that's coming in the door and I'm like, oh, okay, this, this makes sense, right? We would not be here if this person wasn't performing like they are. Yeah. Good for you. Good wisdom. Great thoughts. Eric, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love talking about this stuff. Yeah. And, um, uh, I hope we get to, I think towards the end of this month, we're actually going to be in an event, offsite event together. So I think so. Yeah, we should be. There's a bunch coming up and uh, I'll put a plug for folks here in in Arizona that want to learn more about our company. We've got an open house at the end of October. If you go to our website at www.pdtinc.com, you can find it there. Uh, And it's called Nerdtoberfest. Um, and it's basically a, a big open house. It's going to be an open parking lot. We're not we're limiting the number of folks that can go inside because of COVID. But um, most of our customers will be there. Our employees will be there, and it's just a big welcome back party. So um, I highly recommend people show up for that at the at the end of October. Super. I'll make sure that we uh, put a link in the show notes. Excellent. Perfect. All right. Well, Eric, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that sales and marketing and business in general is a lot more like brain surgery than you thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.